Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. How many people think that the weather stinks outside? Yeah. How many people are going somewhere warm today? <laughs> Mark. Mark's going to California. Who feels bad for Mark today? <laughs> yeah, that's, nobody does, Mark. Yeah. Everybody doesn't like you anymore. So, so thank you for doing the Valentine's party. That's, uh, that's good for you. Yeah. Uh, we are excited about these things that are coming up. Thank you, Beth, for giving those announcements. There's a lot of cool things coming up. Um, just to highlight, if, you're, if you are thinking about uh, becoming a member of the church, this is the next step in your connection with, with Ville Church East. So if you've done all of what you need to do, just let me reiterate, uh, you've taken the classes maybe before, uh, this is your opportunity to get out of this a little easier uh, because we're gonna do one-time interviews on March the 6th and all you have to do is show up for that day. So if you've done all your, your work already and you show up on March 6th, we're gonna do one-time interviews with everybody in the, cl- in the class at the same time. And you can, uh, this, this is your one, one-time opportunity uh, to, uh, to become a part of, of Village Church East and uh, build on what you've done in the past. And if you haven't taken the classes, they're really good. They give you an idea of what we're doing here, what our passion is uh, as a church, as Village Church, why we're in two locations, what our plans are for the future, how we, how we believe the Lord wants to use us to break into the communities around us. And so uh, all of that is uh, uh, discussed in these classes and hope that you'll take advantage of that starting on Tuesday. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's take a minute and pray. Um, there's some things that are, are just heavy on, on my heart because of uh, some things that are going on in our congregation, some things in your own lives uh, that you've shared with us at, at times. Um, the Lord is really doing some amazing things. We've had uh, meetings at my house uh, as we've talked over the five love languages on Saturday mornings. We have one more class on that this week coming up. And... Um, it, uh, they've been really good, um, challenging classes to kind of build a leadership mentality in the home, starting with the parents, starting with the spouse, uh, spouses in the, in the homes. And uh, so we're seeing some good fruit in that. We're seeing some good uh, things that the Lord is doing um, through our church also in the community. There's a, a food pantry that we're exploring getting involved with. Um, and uh, developing a relationship with a church close to us, very close to us, uh, just a, a wonderful church. And uh, so we need some wisdom for that as we look into whether or not we want to uh, make that a part of who we are uh, and invest our resources in that. A lot of good potential in that. We've, uh, we've got some feelers out there already to see if this is something we, we would like to do. Um, and just as we plan ahead with some of these activities and, and other things going on and, and things in your own lives as well. Um, some of you are make some big decisions. Tony and Lee, I know you guys got some big decisions on your plate with, uh, with job situations and, and moves. And uh, um, some others of you have some, have some big, big things going on. Sherry, your son, uh, we keep praying for him. Any news on that front? Okay. One. Good. Okay. Yeah. So Jason needs some uh, uh, some miracles here to pull his plate account up. It went up by one. That's in the right direction. And so yeah, we just need a few more of those, like a lot more of those. All right. Good. So we need to pray for that. Uh, Muleys are back with us. Good to have you guys back. Is the sun shining somewhere? 
Yeah, it is. We'll take your word for it. <laughs> Not here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good to have you back. All right, so let's, let's take a minute and, and just uh, ask, ask the Lord to really bless our, what, the time that we have left together. So, Lord, we come to you this morning and we just give you our, our thanks for what you're doing. It's, it's incredible that you condescend to us, to our needs, to our, to our desires, to our wants. Um, you love it when we come to you with our requests. In fact, you, you say, whatever's on our hearts, let all our requests be made known to you. Um, and the gift that we receive is that the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we bring to you these, uh, these various requests. And, and for the things that I wasn't able to mention, some private things, some, some, um, some tender things going on in people's lives, Lord, I pray that you would you would inject yourself in our lives on a regular basis. Thank you for the, the excitement we're seeing in, in our marriages and uh, some renewal of commitments between couples, um, even, even a little ways, just, just, just to see that excitement again between husbands and wives that want to make their relationships spectacular, fresh and, and exciting again. Uh, even for the Valentine's Day coming up, it's, it's, it's good for us to be reminded that um, that as we attempt to make these steps toward uh, our marriages being pleasing to you, they, they become pleasing to us. Um, the reciprocal uh, activity that goes on as we give love is that we typically receive love. And so, Father, I pray that our church would be known as a church of strong marriages, uh, that we would see leadership uh, come out of the homes and strong wives and strong husbands and strong family units. And for those that are single and don't have husbands or wives in the home, I pray that they would find what it means to, to have your kind of love cultivated on a regular basis in the home. Make our families here at Village Church East stand out. Help us to be different from those around us. For the challenges that we go through, I think of... Uh, the Russos and they're 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 uh, they're kind of on the shelf waiting to see what will happen with their uh, their job situation. You you're already there. You're already in their future. And so, Father, I pray that they would just rest on you. Thank you for their excitement to keep serving and and wherever you put them to 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 look for churches and to look for places where they can use their gifts. It's exciting. I just pray that you would uh, build that family strong through this time that's stretching that you're putting through. through. For Jason and, and uh, others that are sick in our church, some that have not been mentioned, but I know there are a few. You are the God of miracles, and so, Lord, we boldly ask you for miracles. We boldly request those from you. We ask that you would uh, restore health in our bodies and that you would show us miracles so that we can see your glory and we will give you all the praise for the doctors that are wise enough and the medicine that's good, but mostly for you because you work through all of these means to bless us, to grow us, to heal us, and to make us well again. So we ask you for those miracles. Help Jason's plug, uh, uh, platelet count to go skyrocket even this week. And, uh, and for the others that have not been mentioned, may you intervene and show us your greatness. Um, so we're going to look into your word now and ask that you would, uh, last of all, work on our hearts. May they be open to what you would have for us to listen and to hear and to receive. And may we receive with a humble, humble heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's do a little game. This is going to be a fun game. I was born in Nova Scotia. Where were you born? Where were you born, Tony? Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights. All right, we feel bad for Tony. Uh, 
Uh, Derek, where were you born? Sacramento, California. Oh, well, not so bad for Sacramento people. All right. And you're here. God does have a sense of humor. Alan, where were you born? General area. Dearborn. Dearborn. All right. All right. Well, it was a long time ago. I don't remember the day either, so I, I understand with that. My parents did not put me into organized sports. I wanted to play hockey because my friends played hockey, but they couldn't afford it, and so I didn't play hockey. It was really a drag for me. How many people had their parents put them in organized sports? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. All right. Quite a few. Good. Our family went to church every Sunday. Whose family went to church every Sunday growing up? Okay. A few, yeah? Good. About half. I never got an allowance. How many people got an allowance? Oh, yeah, so we can see how that came out right now in your lives, you know. <laughs> you expect everything from everybody. No, I'm just kidding. That's terrible. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, I had to work for all my money. That's interesting. I always wanted to get an allowance, and I never did. You want to see one of the toys I had when I grew up? This is one of the toys I had when I grew up. Isn't that the creepiest thing you've ever seen in your life? Now, here's the scary thing. I actually remember that toy. That is this creepiest clown. And it wasn't until my sister posted it about uh, sometime last year that I saw it. And I remembered this. And I have been scared of, guess what, my entire life? Clowns, Clowns yeah. And now, now when I see this, now I know why. But I remember that, that little uh, nose thing. You can turn it and plays music. And I can remember, I, I don't know how young I was, but I can remember sucking on that, uh, that nose. Isn't that crazy? So I had that in my crib, yeah. That was my friend growing up. <laughs> he went and stole cookies out of the kitchen and brought them back for me in the middle of the night. <laughs> Mr. Marples? <laughs> yeah. uh, I chose the college I went to based on what I could afford. How did you choose the college you went to? Didn't go to college? What you could afford? Yeah? What's that? What's a, what is this college you speak of? Yeah. We moved to Illinois in order to help a church. What brought you to Illinois? What brought you to Illinois? Just, what's that? Birth. Yeah, I never left. Yeah. There is another world out there, Pat, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What brought, you guys were here. You guys were here your whole lives, right? Your parents, yeah. Mara, what brought you to Illinois? You grew up here too, didn't you? No, you were Wisconsin, that's right. I've always liked you because you grew up in Wisconsin. <laughs> School brings you to Illinois, yeah. Isn't it interesting that I look over my life over the last 47 years and all of the decisions and all of the activities and I think, I think to myself, why did God chart this course for me? And everything in my life, the little decisions, the big decisions, the decisions that were made for me and the clowns that were put in my crib without my knowledge, uh, without my consent, all of those decisions were made over the last 47 years. Some were my fault, some weren't my fault, some were done to me, some were done by me, and yet I find myself 47 years later standing in front of you in this church today. I think about that every once in a while and I ask these questions, why did God put these things into my life? Or why did God take away other things in my life? Sometimes I like it, and sometimes I don't. And these are the kinds of questions that, believe it or not, set us up to understand Genesis chapter two, Mark. Mark. 
Genesis chapter two. These are the kind of questions that bring us to this, uh, this study of Genesis chapter two. And you wouldn't think that because Genesis chapter one is all about what God made and how God created all of these things. And what Genesis two is, it invites us deeper into uh, what God's plan is for why he created everything that he created. And here it is in a nutshell, are you ready? I'm glad you're sitting down for this because here it is in a nutshell. God is up to something and you are invited, but caveat, it is not all about you. I know, I know all the millennials now make their way out the back door. <laughs> Genesis 2 gives us an idea of how God has created all the things in Genesis 1, and now Genesis 2 is that he invites us deeper into the story. This is the why section of what God is doing. And so the first point on your, uh, on your outline is simply one word, it's zoom. This is where God zooms in the focus. You remember those old cameras? <laughs> They're not so old, I know, but where you used to use those focus lenses and you'd zoom, zoom, zoom all the way down to the, what you're really pointing at, like the little caterpillar that's on the leaf or the, bu- or the, or the little dot that's on the caterpillar that's on the leaf that's on the bush. That's, it, these, this is God's moment to zoom in and help us understand what he's really doing. Genesis 2 is a funnel that zooms us in to the main focus. So it brings us to our first chunk of scripture in Genesis chapter two. We're gonna start at verse four. This is after uh, God takes uh, the seventh day and rests. And so we begin with this brand new narrative that is about something we're familiar with, but telling it in a different way. Genesis two and verse four. Starts out, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Uh, Now, you may think to yourself, there's not a lot there. There actually is, because this is really the beginning of a new chapter. A chapter for us to understand that we're reading the same story, but now we're gonna look at it in a little different way. And that's why it begins with these are the generations. And if you notice, it says heavens and the earth, but then later on it says the earth and the heavens. It switches those around. Because I think what God is trying to do is he's trying to zoom in and tell us that he's not telling us a different story. He's not doing a recap of Genesis chapter one. This is a different approach so that we understand the entire story of what God is doing. Genesis chapter one is about what he made. Genesis chapter two is about why he made what he made. What God made in Genesis 1 is important, but it's only a main part of the story. So this brings me to some controversial things that people have had over Genesis 2. Some people have looked at Genesis 2 and they say, it's, it's Genesis 1 all over again. But God is not repeating himself. This is not a reiteration of Genesis chapter 1. And there's lots of reasons for this, but here's my top three. The first one is God doesn't use the word made in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter one, it's all about what God made. God made the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, the word made is used in a special way in Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter two, the word that is used is formed. And so every time you read the word formed, it's from something that God already made. Because we already had the made chapters, or the made words in Genesis chapter one. 
Again, in your, in your translation of Scripture, it may have the word made there, but it's not used in the same context. It's not the same word that is in Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 2 is about what God did with what God had made. Another reason why this is very uh, uh, diff- uh, this is a, a reiteration of the same story is that when Jesus talks about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he talks about them as one story. It's not two stories, but it's one story. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you said God made man in his own image. You have that whole image of God section. In Genesis chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, you say, so God gave them, uh, you read, so God gave them dominion and told them to go and multiply and put all things under his feet. And all of that conversation is in Genesis chapter 2. When Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 19 about creation, He doesn't talk about it, oh, here's what Genesis 1 says, and here's what Genesis 2 says. He joins those two stories as if they were one. Uh, And the verse is, uh, I think I have the verse up here for Matthew chapter 19. Did I put it up there? Yes, there it is. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? That's Genesis chapter 1. And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's Genesis chapter 2. So when Jesus is explaining the creation story, he explains Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as if they were one continual event. One consecutive event. And Genesis chapter 1 has some of the story, namely how everything was made. And Genesis 2 has the part of the story that tells us why everything was made as it was made. And this is why Jesus said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. That's why we have males and females. So that we can continue the purpose of why we're here. Also, back to the, these are the generations. When you read this chapter in Genesis chapter two, starting at verse four, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. This is God's, uh, God's introduction to us that this is now a part of the story that you need, but it's not a reiteration of Genesis chapter one. It's a continual thought of why we have Genesis one in the first place. These are the generations. Genesis 1-1 begins this way. How does Genesis 1-1 begin? In the beginning, God created, God made the heavens and the earth, right? And we get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Now it says, now here are the generations. Now we're going to talk about the purpose for why everything was made. And the ultimate purpose for why everything was made is that everything was made to relate to each other. When we get to Genesis 2, the big word that we have in Genesis chapter 2 starts with a big capital R. It's about relationships. How does man and women relate to God, and how do men and women relate to the world around them? It's all about relationships. So we continue reading in verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. By the way, the word ground is, in Hebrew, adama. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? So there was no no one to work the, the ground, Adama, and a mist was going up from the ground, and it watered the whole face of the ground, Adama, and the Lord God formed the man. Guess what word is used there? Adam. Man is Adam. 
So the Lord God formed the Adam from the dust of the Adama and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. The sequence given to us in Genesis 2 is to help us understand how Adam, how the man and the woman, how the, how the human being was to relate to what God had already created, the Adama, the ground. By the way, when you read the, the bush, when no bush or small plant had uh, sprung up, those literally are no shrub or baby grass had yet, been, had yet happened. So there was, no, in other words, God's plan has not taken full swing yet. Nothing had grown, nothing had reproduced, nothing had actually happened in God's plan until the Adam was formed out of the Adama. God's plan was to make the bushes and the grass and the trees and the animals and the, and the ground and to separate the light from the dark and to do all of these things, but his plan cannot continue until the Adam takes his place inside what God created. Remember, this is all about relationships. We're talking about purpose here. We're not talking about details. Genesis 1 is details. Genesis 2 is purpose. The plan of God would include rain, for instance. We read about that. Did you read, remember reading that? Back up just one slide there, if you would. Um, no small plant of the field had sprung up. Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land. When would the first rain fall? Noah. When was Noah? Hundreds of years in the future. No rain had yet caused to fall on the land. Do you know why we're getting this information? It's because God's plan was going to include rain, but that had not happened yet. Because the Adam had not had the breath, the nephesh of life breathed into his body, and so he has not received his spirit. He has not been born. So therefore, no rain had happened, no grass has sprung up. The story can't go on until we're here. Make you feel like the center of the universe a little bit? <laughs> The plan of God would include humankind. They would need to invest in what he made. They would need to relate to what he made. They would need to garden and to work the ground. And, to, and by the way, this is not a result of the fall. If you're thinking to yourself, work is a result of the fall. I, I hate to break the news to you. Work is not a result of the fall. We were put here so that we could work the ground. So if you like working in the ground, you're living out your purpose for life. So Diane, you're... You're, you're in good with God. If you've got a green thumb, you're, you're like close to the heart of God. We are made to function, have a relationship with the ground around us. And keep in mind, it doesn't just have to do with gardening, but it has to do with every time we relate to the world around us. So if you like making things, or if you like constructing things, or if you like tinkering with a car, or just using God's earth for your own enjoyment, you are having a relationship with what he made. That is the story we were created to function inside of. The story could not continue until God breathed this life into man. And so the story is kind of given to us in a zooming way. We zoom in and we understand that a, a man was needed to work the ground. This was in the plan of God. And so the first relationship that we see, though, is not necessarily the relationship of man with the ground, but the first relationship is a relationship of man with God. Man couldn't have a relationship with God until he had the breath of life breathed into him. So we focus from the universe to the earth, and from the earth to the field, and from the field to the garden, and from the garden to the ground, and then from that ground we have man. 
So we go from this to this to the world to, the, to this one spot of ground. And in this one spot of ground, I wonder what it looked like. So my theological pull here is that God only exists in, in a tangible form in the person of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit is a Spirit and God the Father is a Spirit. But God the Son had a body. Now that body was human and born in the New Testament. So this is thousands of years in the future. But before that happened, I believe that when people saw a form of God, they saw Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. So I wonder, when God comes down to this section of ground, this one microscopic place where he would make man, I wonder if it was Jesus that came down. I wonder if he just formed that or maybe push some dirt together. I wonder if he would, if he made a blob, or, or I wonder how it looked, or maybe he didn't do anything. Maybe he just had the wind blow, and all of a sudden you have the face of a man appear. But at some point we know in Scripture that Jesus, or somehow God in a tangible form, lay down beside his creature and <sighs> breathed life into his nostrils. The zoom of that is incredible because every person you see is a benefactor of that one event. God breathed into the nostrils of his masterpiece and the first thing that that masterpiece saw was the face of his God. Wouldn't that be incredible? I wonder if if Adam, when he woke up, like dust came out of his mouth. I I don't know. I wonder what it, maybe it was like this. I don't know what it looked like, but whatever it was, the Adam, Adam, came from the Adama. And he received the breath of God. And that brought him life. And then the next thing that Adam saw was everything around him. And he said, what is all of this? And Jesus probably looked at him and said, we have a lot to talk about. All of this, all of this that you see, I made all of this for you. This is all for you. Look up, see the stars? Those are for you. See the sun? That's for you. Wait till tonight. The sun's gonna set, it's gonna blow your mind. That's for you. And then in the morning, you'll wake up, see a similar thing? That's for you too. And, and the best thing I have planned for you is after I'm going to have you do an activity where you're going to name all of these animals. See all these animals that are standing around here? Yeah, they're all for you too. And nobody attacked each other in these days, right? Everybody got along, right? Lions and lambs laying down together. It was, it was all good. He said, look at all these animals. These are all for you, but none of them are like you. And I've got the best thing yet to come for you. Because very soon I'm going to create from you something you cannot live without. A woman. He didn't tell them at the time, but in the back of his mind. So God helps Adam up and he shows them all of creation. And then the first thing he says to Adam is in verse 10, the river flowed out of the Eden to water the garden. And there we're we're told this boundaries, these boundaries are here. The river flows to water the garden and there divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, the one that flowed out of the world of Havalah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. This is the one that flowed uh, around the whole land of Cush. And there the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows out of Assyria. And the name of the fourth is the Euphrates. And Jesus said, 
God says to Adam, all of this is for you. Let me tell you what's around you. There's rivers over here and there's rivers over there and there's boundaries that I've created for you. And beyond those boundaries, there's gold in them, there are hills. <laughs> but what I've created for you right here is so much better. Gold, it, it'll become precious like later on and it'll, become be it'll be beautiful and there's gems and all these things, but they're nothing compared to this garden that I've made for you. This is what I've made for you. And then he takes him in verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man which he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. It was beautiful, and it was good for food. You could eat from them all. Don't you love eating from a tree? Isn't that cool? You could eat them from them all. They have orange groves in California. Where are you going, Sacramento? Anaheim, yeah. yeah. You gonna get fresh squeezed oranges? Yes, of course you are. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says to Adam, he says, now I'm gonna take you, there's, there's all this around you, I'll just explain to you what, what your boundaries are and there's rivers that cut the boundaries off, but I'm gonna put you in this garden and this garden has beautiful trees and beautiful bushes. You're gonna be amazed by it it's, and it's your home. I've created this for you and the boundaries are the rivers around you and, and you can go beyond them if you want, but this is your home. This is what I've created for you. The animals will welcome you to it. The, the fruit will feed you. Everything is here that you will ever need. This is a home I've made for you. Genesis 2 is all about relationships. The first relationship is Adam with his creator, and the second relationship is Adam with everything that God created around him. And then we come to the dilemma part. God's plan included giving a dilemma to the trophy that he had made. The next verse says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, again, not a result of the fall, but apparently a good thing, to work it, to keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. And how many were there? A lot, and they were all good for food, and they were all pleasant to the sight. You know how you eat something and somebody makes it really pleasant? You eat with your eyes first, you know that, right? You go to a, a, a confectionery uh, counter and you look for the one that looks the best, right? And you say, that must be good. Well, every tree was good for food. It looked good. But God says to him, you can eat from every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you've got to think at this point, Adam looked at Jesus or if it's God incarnate, in incarnate, pre-incarnate form in Jesus Christ, but God, he looks at God and he says, what is die? All I know is live. All I see is life. What is die? And so the first dilemma we have is confusion. Why would God make this so hard on the image bearer? Why doesn't he just make it easy on him? Why let the serpent in? I mean, you know what happens in Genesis 3, right? I'm not letting the cat out of the bag. The serpent tempts the woman. The woman tempts the man. They both fall into sin. They both make the same decisions. Why put the serpent in there in the first place? Why put the tree in there in the first place? Why the big speech? Now, first speech we need to have, son, is this. You can eat from any tree of the garden, but I want to show you this one. Don't touch this one. Well, what do you think the guy's going to do? Remember, he's created not perfect, He's created innocent. He doesn't know die, and he doesn't know sin. 
the question maybe shouldn't be, why did God make it so hard on the image bearer? The question should possibly be, why did Adam give it all up for a taste? And the reason he did is because he thought God was keeping something from him. We'll get more into this in Genesis 3. But the bottom line for any of us falling into sin is that ultimately we think God is keeping something from us, right? Isn't that at the basis of why we do what we do if it's a rebellion against God? Ultimately, we think we know better than God. God is keeping something from us. He's not telling me the whole story. That's why it's called the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the temptation was for Adam. Hey, if I eat this from this fruit of the tree, the serpent says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's a temptation. The temptation is, oh, really? I can be better than I am? And God says, this is as good as I get it. I can be better than this? And for most of us, that is the thought that plagues us and our rebellious hearts to this day. We look at God and we blame him for all these different things. We say, God is a God that says, you can touch, but don't taste. You can taste, but don't swallow. You can chew it, don't swallow it down. You can see it, but don't touch it. It's like God is always keeping something away from us. But could it be that we're looking at it the wrong way? Could it be that we need to take God's word for it? And Adam, this is exactly why he did what he did. Perhaps like Adam, we simply need to acknowledge that God knows more and has our best interest at hearts. How good did Adam have it? Would you say really good on a scale of one to 10, like one being eh, and 10 being, it can't get better than this. What did he have? Probably an 11, right? Everything he touched turned to gold. No weeds. No weeds, yeah, yeah, I know. No thorns, no thistles, no sweat of his brow, no, you know, no, uh, no animals that he became scared of. He had it really, really, really good. But he didn't, he didn't, he didn't trust God. He didn't trust God that he had it as good as he thought he had it. God is developing a plan before the foundation of the world. Now, if you miss this, you'll miss understanding the meaning of life and you'll live with perpetual confusion as to why life is here and why you are here. Here it is. We are not born to figure out how we fit God into our narrative. We're born to figure out and understand that God invites us into his narrative. Let me say that one more time. We're not born to figure out how to get God into our narrative. God forms us and invites us into his narrative. There's a play already running and he invites us to have a part in it. Our purpose is to be a cast member in his great play that he's putting on. This is why you read Genesis 2 and you can't get God off the hook. God put the two trees there. One's the tree of life, one's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave the speech, don't touch it, don't even be around it. He left them on their own. He let the serpent in the garden knowing that it would be hard on them. And the major theme of history is that God doesn't make it easy on us. And he doesn't ask us for our permission, which brings me back to my first illustration. God didn't ask your permission about your parents, the length of your life, your siblings, your gifts, your abilities, your disabilities, or the clowns that were put into your crib at night. 
God has made a billion decisions for you. You may not be the direct object of God's play, but you are a subject. He invites you to be a cast member. It's like, it's like if you try out for a play. I live this in my house a little bit. It's like if you try out for a play and you, and you do your very best and you perform your very best and you sing your very best and then you get the note in the mail and it says, you have been chosen. And, and it's like, woohoo, I'm in the play. Well, this is life. God has created everything around you. God has formed you from the belly of your mother's womb so that you could be a part in his play. He has chosen you. Woohoo. You are of infinite value. Why? Because you are part of what God is doing. The dilemma then that we have at this point is fairness. Why does God do what he does? God's not fair. Why does he invite me to do what he, he, he says? Well, he's not fair. He doesn't do things like I want him to do things, depending on how you define the word fair, right? Listen, God has constantly imposed limitations on you. Here, here are some that probably you can relate to. If I asked you to go outside and fly home, could you do it? Why not? God has imposed limitations on you. If I asked you to walk outside, run 100 miles and 100 miles back in five seconds, could you do it? No, because God has put limitations on you. I have more hair than any staff member in pastoral leadership at Bartlett Church, Village Church in Bartlett. Why? Because God put limitations on their hair follicles. <laughs> My brother's taller than me. Why? Because that's what God decided. I grew up in the home that I grew up in. Why? Because that's what God decided. Gravity works for me. Why? Because that's what God decided. Why can't I see through walls? Why can't I catch a speeding bullet? Why can't I leap over buildings with a single bound? Because God has put limitations on us. It's amazing to me that we accept some of these limitations and we demand that God does our will in others. Because we're born with some limitations, we accept them freely, but then we say, yeah, but God needs to work in my life in this way because that's what I want him to do. And if he's not, then he's not fair. And so when we say the word fair, we have a hard time leaving the director in control. We want to take control of the play. Does that remind you of anyone that we just were talking about in Genesis chapter 2? Adam wanted to take control away from the director. And we act just like Adam all the time. And so I come to a verse that's very difficult to understand and accept unless you understand who God is and who we are. He is creator, we are creature. He is loving God, we are loved by God. He is the director, we are the performers in the play. He is the lover we are the ones loved. And then you get to this verse. Why is God unfair? Verse 20 of Romans chapter nine. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make of the same lump one vessel for honorable use? and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make his power known, has endured with much patience 
vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. That's everyone ever born, by the way, after Adam. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, those are those who accept Christ, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Do you know what that means? That means God is the director and we are the performers. The plan of God, amazingly enough, includes planning a path of redemption for rebels. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, in Genesis 3 and verse 15, we'll get to this later, as soon as they sinned, they were told there would be a path for restoration for them. And that path for restoration, that that path included Jesus going to a cross and offering us redemption so that we don't have to stay lost, stay as rebels. Our hearts can change. Those who are loved by God can still be loved by God and love God back. They don't have to live as rebels any longer. Genesis 1, God puts the world into motion. Genesis 2, God puts his plan into motion. The plan was for his image bearer and his image bearer would volunteer a life of devotion to his creator. Only the image bearer, by the way, was given this voluntary choice. Everything else in creation has to do what it was made to do. We've already talked about this. Only humans could choose to rebel. And only humans still choose to stay in that rebellion. Without that choice to love God, is it really Devotion from genuine love. God doesn't manipulate his creature, but he asks for hearts of devotion and obedience by the one thing, human beings, that could choose to give him voluntary devotion. Brings me to the last one, then that's the trees. With this formula in play, God knew it wouldn't be long before the image bearer would fall. It was in his plan that the image bearer would fall and that he would fall and that rebellious heart would be passed on to every human being after him. That tree, that knowledge of good and evil tree should have been a place of continual obedience. Adam and Eve should have went to that tree every day and looked at that one tree. Now keep in mind, every other tree had beautiful fruit. The only thing that made that tree more attractive to them was what? God said, don't touch it. It's the speech. So they look at this thing and they think to themselves, yeah, what's he keeping from us? And every day they look at that tree and they said, you know what? I'm choosing not to eat from that tree. They are choosing obedience to God. Every day that tree could have become a place of worship and obedience. But there was a risk and the risk was that they would fall and become people who were rebels This tree, instead of becoming a tree of obedience, a place of obedience every day, became a place of rebellion and death. And every human would have made the same choice because we weren't born perfect, we were born innocent. Adam and Eve were, we were born in sin after them because their sin passed on to us. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 5.12. Here's what happened. This is the generations that continue after Genesis chapter to every person that Adam and Eve ever knew would come from them, they would pass on this heart of rebellion and the first ones it went to were their own kids. Cain had a jealous heart, a murderous heart in their own kids. Can you imagine how they must have felt knowing that they brought this into the world? Romans 5, 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man 
that's Adam, and death through sin. So death spread, spread to all men because all sin. Do you know if you never sinned, you'd never die? But we're born in sin and that's why we die. Do you know Jesus died because of our sin? Otherwise Jesus would not have died ever. He'd still be with us today. But he chose to die on the cross and rise again three days. And so he is still with us today. But miraculously, because he rose from the dead and because he conquered death on that cross, we too have the ability to conquer death through obedience and devotion to Jesus Christ. And so another tree was needed, and that tree would become a tree of restoration. Rebellious hearts needed a cure. And the cure would only come through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. So the tree that caused rebellion was replaced with another tree thousands of years later on a hill called Calvary. And that tree was erected as a dead tree. That's kind of like it looked. And on this tree, Jesus was placed. The only perfect human being. That's why the Bible calls him the second Adam. The first Adam sinned and fell into sin and passed sin on to the rest of us. Jesus was born without sin, the only one born without sin. That's why we call it the miraculous virgin birth. He was born without sin and he lived his life without sin. So when he died on that second tree, his blood was shed and could cover all of the sins of the rest of us from all history, from all time. In fact, in Genesis 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. God sacrificed himself voluntarily so we could have a relationship with him again. So now let me ask you the question, is God fair? Yeah. What have you done to deserve God's son? and his death on the cross. Jesus was cursed for us so that we can be forgiven through him. And so God's plan in creation, which included his plan of redemption, is all about displaying his glory. This plan of God, I can't theologically, I can't explain it in a way that our fallen minds will appreciate and understand other than to say, was the fall in the plan and the purpose of God, yes, because you were planned to be a part of his family before the world was created. And Jesus was planned to be crucified before the world was created, Ephesians chapter one. All of this was in God's plan. I can't explain it in a way that our fallen minds will perhaps understand, but this I know, all it does is scream about not God's unfairness, but God's glory. You ever gone to a fireworks show and seen the fireworks? You ever been to one where they had to start early and the sun was still up and you could barely see the fireworks and you're going, man, I wish it was darker so you could see the fireworks. Because when you see fireworks in the day, I mean, you, could, you can Photoshop it so that you can see it a little bit better, but it's, it's pretty pithy, right? You see just a, like, like the little flames against the sky. And if the sun's really bright, it's not very good. But when it gets dark and you set off fireworks, well, that's more magnificent, right? That's amazing. This is what it means for God's glory to be shown because in a world that is dark, God's glory is even greater. And for people who are lost in sin, who recognize how desperate they are, 
when they see the glory of God, it's like fireworks in the night rather than fireworks in the day. God's glory lights up this world. Creation is spectacular, but Christ is even better. Genesis 2 is God is up to something. It's not all about you. It's bigger than you. You are of infinite value to God. Don't make any mistake, but you're not the point. You're a part of what God is doing. I don't know why God maneuvered history like he has, and I don't know why he maneuvered each of our lives like he has. But I know this, that you're hearing a redemption story this morning because God is more than fair. God is gracious and he's loving and he lets you hear it one more time. And if you don't know Christ as your savior, God is compelling you to give your life to him so that you can be redeemed out of this life of rebellion and you can become a son or a daughter of God. At every turn in your life, God's been trying to get your attention or you wouldn't still be here. God doesn't delight in rebels. He delights in the voluntary love that he has from his children. And that's why it's not fair, it's grace. One more thing. Everything at the end of the book mirrors everything at the beginning of the book. Did you know that? Genesis and Revelation are strikingly similar. The whole Bible is put together like this amazing narrative story that God reveals to us. In the beginning, there is a garden. In the end, there is a garden. In the beginning, there's a stream that runs through the garden, waters everything. In the end, there's a stream that runs through the place where we will live once and for all when the kingdom comes and we are restored into our bodies and we live like this forever. In the beginning, there's a tree, and in the end, there's a tree. In the beginning, there's a tree of life. In the end, there's a tree of life. In the beginning, there's light and dark. In the end, there's light and dark, but there's no need for a sun because the light emanates from the glory of God. In the beginning, God is in absolute control, and in the end, God is in absolute control. In the beginning, there is no sin. In the end, woo, there is no sin. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't sin. Someday, that's what we have to look forward to. Revelation 22 talks a little bit about it. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the land through the middle of the street of the city where we will live. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. God is the orchestrator. This is all for him. You are for him. You are for him. You are for him. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we will get everything out of life God intends for us to have. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. The firstborn, not the one born first, but the preeminent of anything that was ever created, he is above it all. Firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or Craig or Beth or Mark or Alan or anyone in here, all things were created by him and church, what does it say? And for him. And you are included 
in that formula. Isn't that great? Yeah. My prayer is that we, we, we proclaim that loud and clear to a world that has no idea why they're here. Created from a blob, spectacularly evolved into something that has maybe 70, 80, maybe 90 years to make a dent and do something that counts for something because eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Blah. How about God's doing something amazing? He has a plan in motion and he has reached down and asked you to become a part of what he's doing. He's gonna do something and you have just a small amount of time to join with him, lock arms with him and become a player in what he's doing. How about you take that 60, 70, 80, 90 years and you make a difference for him? Because soon this life is past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. I'm grateful, Father, that you give us Genesis chapter two. Not a reiteration of one, not a different story, but an explanation of your plan why we're here, why did you create all this? An explanation that there is a plan in motion and we are invited to be a part of it. Thank you for giving us a piece, a piece to play in what you're doing. Sometimes it seems unfair, sometimes we have no idea what's going on, sometimes we lose loved ones, sometimes we get sick, sometimes life stinks, sometimes we lose things we really really like. And sometimes you give us more than we could ever ask for. But it's all a reminder that you are doing something amazing. So help us to be grateful for being a part, or being invited to be a part of what you're doing. And I pray that you would use our lives to change this generation to love you and serve you more. We don't have very long. So help us to use our time wisely all for your glory, so that your light spectacularly shines in this dark world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We finish every service with communion, and the reason we do is because we want to make sure that everybody hears the story of the gospel clearly one last time. So here it is. In the beginning, God created and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was one of the things that he created. Man and women were invited to obey him and stay away from the tree, but they chose not to and they fell into rebellion. And so they break arms and elbows. Right, Abby? <laughs> because instead of bouncing off the sidewalk, they end up breaking things. Sickness entered, death entered. All of these terrible things happened in our lives because we rebelled first. And because of that, the worst of all, death. Death separates and breaks relationships. It's the worst thing for relationships. But God gave us another tree. And that tree was a dead tree, erected at Calvary and upon which God hung the father hung his only son. 
He didn't hang there because he was bored. He didn't hang there because he was forced to. He hung there because he voluntarily gave up his life. He became the sacrifice that none of us could ever dream for. When he died on the cross, that blood that he shed was perfect blood. And it is available and ready to cover every sin, no matter how deep or heinous that sin is. All it takes is a humble, repentant heart. And if you accept Jesus as your savior, your sins aren't just covered, they are obliterated. They are washed away. You now talk to a God and you say, God, I re- you remember the sin that I did when I was seven years old or when I was 12 years old or when I was 18 years old. You remember that one? And God will say, for the life of me, I can't remember what you're talking about. Because God chooses not to hold our sins against us. Why? Because the blood of his son screams our innocence. And so God looks at us as sons and daughters and not as rebels any longer. Isn't that great? That's why the Bible says you were once enemies of God, but now you are sons and daughters. If you don't know Christ as your savior, that is the message of the gospel. You can come running to the cross of Jesus Christ and you can claim that forgiveness as your own. You can put your head on your pillow tonight knowing that your sins are obliterated, knowing that according to Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. That means that you cannot be condemned for anything, no sin, because Christ's blood obliterates it all. But you need to ask for it. You need to ask God for that and you need to confess your sins and give your life to Jesus. That's why I say God's not fair. I agree with it. Because it's not fair that he should die so that I can live. Because I gotta tell you, there's a lot of sins in my life that I probably should be obliterated from this earth for. In fact, the Bible says even one sin is enough to separate us from God forever. Jesus Christ gave his life so that I could have life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that is the message of the gospel and that is the message we give to you today. And so when the elements come around, the bread and the juice, I just ask you pass it to the person next to you and don't take. Why? We don't wanna make you feel awkward. We don't make you stick out. We don't, we're not, nobody's gonna think anything like that. But more than giving you a cracker and a, and a, and a, a, a glass of juice, we wanna give you the message of the gospel that can change your life for eternity. So come and talk to us afterwards. Talk to me or somebody that brought you and we'd love to share Jesus and his love with you and, and give you assurance that when you walk away from here, you are forgiven once and for all. If you're from another church and you know Jesus Christ, you've given your life to him, he is your savior and you are his son or daughter and you love serving him, you love loving him, then you are welcome to participate with us here. We have open communion, which means we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, me included. That's why I stand down here on the floor. There's no height, no, there's no levels here. We're all sinners saved by grace. And so take the cup, take the bread. The bread represents the body that was given for us on the cross. The juice represents the blood that was shed to obliterate our sins. It's a tangible way for us to remember we are forgiven and we are no longer condemned. 
when you receive the bread and the juice, would you stand when it comes to you and you just stand and you can sing, the band will be up here. Hang on to it, don't eat, don't eat, don't drink. Wait for me to come back up and I'll tell you, I'll read a passage of scripture and we'll eat and drink together. That's a symbol of us all being on the same level, all sinners being saved by grace. Before we do any of that, um, I'm just gonna give you a minute to, um, have the Lord's really impacted your life with this message? And I've been praying about this. I've been so excited about this message. However the Lord's hit you with this, would you just take a minute in the silence of the next few um, seconds, minute or so, and just thank God for what he has revealed to you, maybe in a brand new way or maybe in a fresh way. You already knew it, but maybe in a fresh way today. And because basically, guys, anytime God speaks to us, there's a time for us to be thankful for grace and that he would even condescend to reach down to us and give us a refreshing taste of his grace and his glory. So would you just take a minute before we take the elements and pray to God and give him thanks for whatever he has spoken to you today, Bowden.